I'd like for you to turn to the 11th chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. The 11th chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. Putting off an experience until the time is perfect, till the time is exactly right, or till you can afford it, or till you're absolutely certain that you can accomplish it, is a great thief of joy. Some wag penned this little uh, rhyme. The bride leaning on her cane, her footsteps needed guiding, while down the aisle with a wan toothless smile, the groom in a wheelchair came riding. Who is, who is this elderly couple just wed? You'll find if you closely explore it that this is a rare and conservative pair who waited until they could afford it. <laughs> if you wait until you can afford it, it's a great thief of joy. So be deliberate, and once you've made up your mind, go for it. I mean, just jump in. How long has it been since you've just jumped in on something? That you did something out of the, un, out of the ordinary, something unusual. There is a sign on the Alaskan highway, I'm told, that reads, choose your rut because you'll be in it for the next 200 miles. You know, when I crossed the big 5-0, one day it just kind of, it just kind of dawned on me to, you know, this, this terror, this fear that I might, that my life might become routine, that, that I um, might live on the dull edge of life and, and uh, become boring, get in a rut. To live on the dull edge of life is to become a slave to life. And some of you may remember that line in, in Alex Haley's classic Roots where he has one character say of another, most likely he died as he had lived without discovering who he really was. And some do. And they never reach the full potential. They never really jump in. They never really go for it. They would say this, I get up in the morning and dust off my wits pick up a paper and check the obits. If I find my name is missing, I know that I'm not dead, so I eat a good breakfast and go back to bed. Some people do that. And the counsel we get is, you know, don't take a chance. Be careful. Don't risk anything. Don't exert yourself. And I heard about this lady who came, went to her doctor. She was a jogger at age 80. And he was, he was really sincere. He told her, he said, now I want to warn you. I, I, I'm afraid you're exerting yourself. Be careful and don't exert yourself. And so she kind of um, stepped back. She kind of um, stopped her jogging. And in three months, she was dead. I've got a book in my office by Jim Fix called The Complete Book of Running. 
In one of these chapters, he starts out by telling the story about a man by the name of Norman Bright. He said this white-haired man, 65 years of age, ran the Boston Marathon in a remarkable time of two hours, 59 minutes, finished 615th. You say, that isn't much. That, that means he defeated two-thirds of the people in his, in his race. And that night at the marathon party, while some were kind of laying around in, in, in you know, chairs, exhausted, some were sprawled out on the floor, this 65-year-old man was carrying on this animated conversation. He was headed out to Europe to run a marathon. He had this yellow knapsack, and he opened it up and showed Jim Fix the maps of the marathon in Europe and, and his entry blank. And Jim Fix made an interesting statement in the book. He said, the most unusual, remarkable thing about that man was that he was an American. Well, he said, in America, we have a tendency to be protective, to hold back, to be overprotective. He said, for example, in Italy, in their equivalent to Boston Marathon, last year, after the year before that book was written, there were 4,000 people over 65 who ran in that race. And that same year, that marathon ski, cross-country ski race, there were 150 over the age of 65 who rode, who, who, rode, who, who skied 43 miles. And they have athletic clubs, 40,000 of them in Italy, most of them are catering to the older people. He says, in America, we say, now you old folks need to eat your porridge. Stay away from the pizza. And our attitude is be careful and don't risk. Where is that found in Scripture? You, you show me in Scripture where it says that risking is synonymous with sinning. And our attitude is that things are going to get worse, so you need to hold on to what you got and protect that. And so pessimism and doubt dogs our steps and we reach the retirement years and wait to die. And one day I was going out of this nursing home and there was this little old lady sitting in a chair beside the door. As I went out the door, I said, well, how are you doing? And she said, I'm waiting to die. And so we little itsy-bitsy people play our little itsy-bitsy games with the little itsy-bitsy rules. And someone said, some men die by shrapnel, and some go down in flames, but most men die inch by inch, playing their little games. The last two chapters of this book can be described in six words. Be bold, be joyful, be godly. And there's nothing in these last two chapters that even hint to be careful. Now there are four pieces of uncommon advice that I find in this passage that's in the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 6. Four pieces of uncommon advice. Each piece of advice is a contrast. And so I want you to kind of jot these down, if you will. First, verse 1 Instead of protection, release yourself. Instead of protection, release yourself. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Bread is a symbol of life. 
Don't put your bread in a deep freeze. Don't seal it up in a baggie, protecting it. Cast it on the surface of the waters away from yourself. In other words, what he's saying is this. Don't protect yourself. Release yourself. I mean, cast yourself away from self. It's an ancient Arabic proverb, as a matter of fact. And every ancient Jewish father would teach his son proverbs like this. Cast your bread on the water and you'll receive help in time. Hubbard says that our generation may be the only generation in, 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 in civilized history that does not cheat, teach its children proverbs. And it may be that Solomon went to bed at night with his father David teaching him these proverbs. Cast your bread on the waters. That is, release yourself. Let's think about ways how you can release yourself so that good can come. So when life is released to others, it's remarkable how that God returns that good. It's a remarkable thing how when somebody releases his life to others, how God picks that up and returns blessing to man. Not always does that happen, but most always it does. And I heard about this this woman listened to her pastor preach for years, for months, and one day she came up to him and she said, I, I've heard I've, I've you preach how that we're to forgive and how we're to get outside of ourselves and release ourselves. She said, I have this bitterness toward my husband. He, he, he left me months ago. Haven't seen him for months. And I've been so bitter. Somehow today, she said, I've been impressed that I'm to release myself to him and I, I mean I need to go to him and tell him I forgive him and so the next week she strolled into his office and for the first time she saw him after about after she said I've just come to tell you that I'm I forgive you and I want you to know that I forgive you and I no longer feel bitter towards you and she said six months later he walked back into her life and they picked up where they were and reconstructed what they had lost. The fact is that, that we're to release ourselves and most of the time, some of the time, not all the time, God takes that sacrifice, that releasing of self, that giving up of self, and He returns it in blessing. Second, rather than hoarding, give and invest. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight. For you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Rather than hoarding, give, invest, be bullish on the investing of self. Find a variety of ways that you can invest yourself. You notice that it is waters plural. So that you invest, you give, not just to the family of yours not just to that person who is attractive. It's seven or eight. It's a, it's a reference to liberality. Be, be generous to as many as you can. Give and invest. As much as you can, invest. In a variety of ways, give. Be generous in your giving. I want you to hold your place there, and I want this turn back to the book of Proverbs. Now, the same author of Ecclesiastes is the author of Proverbs and turn to chapter 19 and look at verse 17 with me. 
He who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. He will repay him for his good deed. It doesn't mean that bad things won't happen, but it does mean this, that God promises He'll take the responsibility for the, repay, for the repayment. You invest generously. You give generously. And God's promise is that He'll take care of the repayment of that gift. Doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. They will. I heard about this guy who was walking down the streets in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Not, not too many people have the courage to do that. And out of the dark, this guy stepped, and from behind, he caught this guy and put a knife, knife to it. said, Catholic or Protestant? He's thinking, if I say Catholic, this guy's a Protestant, he's going to cut my throat. But if I say Protestant, this guy's a Catholic, going to cut my throat. So he said, Jew. And from behind this voice said, I am the luckiest Arab terrorist in Northern Ireland. I mean, there are some days you, you just can't win. But the good news is this, that even though difficulties occur, you're going to find benefit after many days. It is a cliche, but it is a truth that you can't outgive God. And the more generously you give, the more God is freed to return the benefit. Number three, instead of drifting, instead of drifting, pursue. If clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, Wherever the tree falls, there it lies. Underline this. He who watches the wind will never sow. If you're waiting for just the right time, you will never do it. If you're waiting till all the bills get paid before you tithe, you'll never tithe. If you're waiting till you get more time to take that responsibility in the church, You'll never do it. You'll never find the time. If you're waiting for the exact time to witness, you'll never witness. He who watches the wind will never sow. And he who looks at the clouds will never reap. Instead of drifting, pursue. I wonder how many of us tonight are preoccupied with the things that we can never change. And so while we drift along in life, preoccupied by the things that we can't change, these opportunities to change things pass us by. Instead of drifting, pursue. Allow me. There are four major poets who lived to be over 80, who did more in the last decade of their life than all the other time put together. William Gladstone took up a new language when he was 70. At the age of 83, he became Prime Minister of Great Britain, Great Britain for the fourth time. Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote Crossing the Bar when he was 80 years of age. John Wesley was still 80, was 88 and he was still preaching 
eloquently and powerfully. And he was still studying on the back of a horse as he rode from one preaching engagement to the next. Michelangelo completed The Last Judge when he was 66. C.A. Nash was 90 when he finished reading volume six of Toynbee's monumental work. And Ryrie returned from China as a missionary when he was 70 years of age. And he learned to the Greek language when he was 80. And at the age of 90, he entered the seminary and became proficient at Greek. And at the age of 100, he was carrying around this Greek lexicon, memorizing it so he could speak Greek. And I guess he played handball on the side just for pastime. What are you doing watching the wind? What are you doing looking for a better opportunity to change things? Be bullish. Take life by the throat. Stop drifting and pursue. Number four. As an, alterna as an alternative to doubt, courageously trust the living God. As an alternative to doubt, courageously trust the living God. I am becoming more convinced that faith is more of an act of the will than it is an act of the emotion. And when a person decides, just decides as an act of the will that he's going to trust the living God, he's going to just rest on Him, trust Him. As an act of the will, he does that. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. He's doing something you can't understand. You don't know that. Just trust Him, you see. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening. For you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. There are so many mysteries that are interwoven into life and it's just, it's, it's a matter of trusting. So, in the evening of life, and don't look for a place to hide. I'm tempted to say, well, I've paid my dues. Well, what if God had said that? And even if drought comes, he said, I can still praise him. And even if my business fails, and I, I can still praise him. And even if my ship comes back, or doesn't come back, I'll still praise him. And so the poet put it like this, I will not doubt, though all my ships at sea come drifting home with broken mast and sails, I shall believe the hand which never fails. From seeming evil worketh good to me, and though I weep because those sails are battered, still will I cry while my best hopes lie shattered. I trust in Thee. I shall not doubt, though all my prayers return unanswered from the still white realm above. I shall believe it is the all-wise love which has refused those things for which I yearn. And though at times I cannot keep from grieving, yet the pure order of my fixed believing undimmed shall burn. I will not doubt those sorrows fall like rain and troubles swarm like bees about a hive. 
I shall believe the heights for which I strived are only reached by anguish and by pain. And though I groan and tremble with my crosses, I yet shall see through my severest losses the greater gain. I will not doubt, will anchored in the faith like some staunch ship, my soul braves every gale, so strong its courage that it will not fail to breast the mighty unknown sea of death. Oh, may I cry when body parts with spirit, I do not doubt so listening worlds may hear it with my last breath. I'm not going to doubt. And those circumstances around me militate against him and against his goodness. I am going to cling to the fact that God is good and I'm not going to doubt. Instead of doubting, courageously trust. Now some advice. Number one, listen to this carefully. Please hang to this. Number one, Start activating your life today and never quit. Find someone to invest in. Find someone to invest in, some young person. I met with the BSU council the other day and we talked about some of the hopes and dreams we have for the BSU as, as we always do with Greg and John. And uh, listen to these men as they've been working out there on a, literally working with a shoestring out there, on a shoestring. Let me say parenthetically here, if it, it's a fact. If it weren't for the First Baptist Church, there wouldn't be a BSU out there. Half of their whole budget comes from us. I hope we'll not, we'll not back down on that at all. I mean, half of the entire budget is underwritten by First Baptist Church. And these guys have so many dreams. They've got this conference down in Georgia this for black students. And these guys are willing to get in their car and drive all the way to Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, drive all night, take these black students there on a conference. And all the way back, all night long, they have to drive to get them here in class time. And they're willing to do that. The only thing that keeps them from doing it is that they don't have the money to do it. And they're having this mission conference over at Southwestern Seminary, and I've been to them while well, I was in the seminary. It's the most exciting thing that happens on the campus. All these college students come in by the hundreds and the thousands, and they're exposed to the cries of the world and to the challenge of the world. And they're, they want to take 20 of our students from down there, from, from out of here down to that mission conference. All they need is $400. It seems to me that we can find someone to invest in, some young person. Volunteer your life for service. Refuse to let your life collect dust. I heard uh, uh, Charlie Campbell before he died and talking about on Bowie's Creek in Campbell College in Bowie's Creek, North Carolina during the time when the flu epidemic back then, you know, everybody was sick and dying. And there was this lady who taught English, this dignified, sophisticated lady, and she went over there to the women's dorm. They quarantined it. She went over there and cared for those sick kids, carrying bedpans and all that stuff, waiting on them. 
Somebody said to her one day, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. She said, neither would I. Refuse to let your life collect dust. I mean, start activating your life today. How serious are you about visiting and witnessing? Is it just how serious are you? In my office, little pieces of paper where people called on this telephone survey and folks said, we watch your services on television. We, we hear Brother Tidwell preach every Sunday. We wish somebody would come visit us. Now, not everybody says that. There's some say, don't, you know, don't bother me, you know, stay away. There are some, though. I mean, how serious are you about investing your life in others? We're going to see how serious you are before this month is out. Start activating your life today and never quit. Second, remember wisdom must accompany action. Now, I think sometimes we can hear these motivational speeches about taking life by the throat. We want to go out and hang glide over the Grand Canyon, you know. That's pretty, pretty stupid. I mean, you've got to start with wisdom. I mean, you, you know, it's how you unlock one window at a time, you see. And so you, you, you decide, remember, wisdom must accompany action. You, you know that, of course. So third, watch out for an enemy attack during a lull in the action. There will be periods that are not very exciting. There are times of low tide and unproductive, unproductive lifestyle. There are those times. And I suppose that that it is, it is during those times of, of lull and, and low tide when no excitement's happening and dryness, there's barrenness and dryness that, where we get this tremendous attrition that goes on among Baptists and Christians in general. Be careful for that. You understand that there'll be some times when there won't be any result from what you do. And I think probably that's why some of us have quit. Because we couldn't make it through the periods of, of dryness. Now here's the question that I want to ask in conclusion. What are you doing to keep life razor sharp? What are you doing to keep life razor sharp? Now let's read it all together. Cast your bread on the surface of the water, waters, for you will find it after many days. Whatever you, whatever you invest, you never lose. You never lose. It be, might be after many days, but you never lose it. Divide your proportion to seven or even eight. For you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will never sow. He who looks at the clouds will not reap. 
Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how the bones are farmed in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning. And do not be idle in the evening. For you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed, or whether both of them alike will be good. Paraphrase, come on, folks. Take life by the throat. Let's pray together. Father, we're all guilty sealing up life in a little baggie, airtight, protecting it. And what we have, securing it away so that we'll not lose it. And most of us are like the man who buried his talent instead of investing it. And that's why life, especially the Christian life for many of us, is dull, monotonous, tasteless. I pray tonight, Father, that both the young and the old will have a vision of what is meant by pouring their life into an eternal investment and then after the many days seeing it return. Father, I pray that if there are those of us who are timid, shy, cowardly, you will call us out of that to boldness, courage, sacrifice. For I ask in Jesus' name, there's three invitations tonight, an invitation for you to give your heart to Jesus Christ. Don't be like the person who said to me just this week, I'd like to be saved, I'm just not ready. The thing that bothers me, said, is I don't know how long I've got. That's the truth. If you're going to do anything for God, if you're going to give your life to Him, you better do it now. You better start tonight. Today is the day of salvation. Perhaps you won't need to come this tonight and place your life in the church if God leads you to do that. Or maybe you'll need to come and say, Pastor, I, I'm not what I ought to be. I've not followed through on the promise I've made in the past. I've been protecting rather, give, rather than giving. Selfish rather than generous. While we stand to sing, we invite your response.